Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. More on Jazz Drumming 101, as this is episode 101. In episode 97, Victoria drummer and composer Kelby McNair talked about a few inspiring drummers, and we played tracks with Alvin Jones, Zati Singleton, Baby Dodds, Philly Joe Jones, Vernell Fournier, Ed Thigpen, Art Blakey, and an original from Kelby McNair himself. Then we ran out of time, so this is an opportunity for more, including fusion drummers, other innovators, and some inspiring Canadian drummers. The drums uh, have been a huge force in Africa, probably since the beginning of human life. In Europe, the drum was introduced as a weapon. Imagine, it's 1086, and you're a Spanish-speaking Castilian living in the Iberian Peninsula. You've never seen a drum, and you've never seen a black person. Suddenly, you are invaded by a black African army, and they are banging on what looks like kettle drums, intimidating your soldiers and calling on the forces of the supernatural to carry them to victory. And the drums are also giving commands that all invading soldiers could hear and understand. But your army didn't know what they were saying. Now we'll move to the more recent past, New Orleans. Walking fife and drum groups were commonly used to entertain at picnics and funerals. I'm going to play a field recording made in the 1950s of one of those groups, at the time very much part of a dying tradition, Lonnie and Ed Young.
Isn't that neat? I had the pleasure of hearing this group at the Mariposa Folk Festival in the early 1970s. That was on Toronto Island. And they called themselves the Lonnie Young Fife and Drum Band. I interviewed Lonnie Young at the time, uh, who played uh, the large drum there while his son plays the small one. And uh, Ed Young, his brother, uh, plays the fife. And I learned a lot more about those picnics. I have vivid memories of that interview and might even have it on a cassette tape. Maybe I can play some of it someday for you. But with no further ado, I present to you Kelvin McNair talking about the evolution of the drum set in America. So early you had like a marching bass drum and a, a military snare drum or a parade snare drum, a sort of shallower snare drum. And that became the, the foundation of what would become the drum set, a bass drum, snare drum in New Orleans. So you could play, you know, the second line kind of thing. You could have a bass drum player. And you had a drummer playing, like a snare drummer. So you had this conversation. So you had those two ingredients. Then you could add a little china symbol for accents or for for playing time patterns on later. And then eventually they added the low boy, which is a a low or sock symbol, which eventually became the hi-hat. And then you had the addition of a tom-tom, which was a Chinese tom-tom. Originally it would be from uh, the dragon dance or the lion dance in, in like a Chinese New Year's celebration. It's a small drum, maybe... 10 or 12 inches across, 6 or 12 inches deep, depending on the type of drum. And uh, it would have, it would be a, a somewhat rounded body made out of a single piece of wood, painted really beautifully, typically red, well, with gold or flowers on it or dragons. And then it has a skin on top and bottom. So it has a very particular kind of dum, dum sound, not too long a sustain, but a warm sound. So they started using those in drum sets. They also started using what are called temple blocks or dragon blocks, which were also from uh, the Chinese musical tradition, but became very important in vaudeville kind of sounds. So that became the drum set. So you had a, a high tom and a low tom, but, but it's meaning pitch. So you have one that's a higher pitch and one that's a lower pitch. The low tom could also be called a floor tom because it would sit on the floor versus the higher tom usually sat attached to, to the bass drum, right. sometimes also called a rack tom. You'll hear a lot of those drum sounds in this next track that I'm going to play by one of the greatest drummers of all time and a great innovator, Art Blakey. Drummer Max Roach described Art Blakey thusly. Art was an original. He's the only drummer whose time I recognize immediately. And his signature style was amazing. We used to call him Thunder. When I first met him on 52nd Street in 1944, he already had the polyrhythmic thing down. Art was perhaps the best at maintaining independence with all four limbs. He was doing it before anybody was. Unquote. The song's barely recognizable, but if you listen closely, you'll hear that it's only a paper moon. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers from 1963. <laughs>
ending the tune with a little bit of Lee Morgan's trumpet fading out. That was Art Blakey and Jazz Messengers. It's only a paper moon. Also playing with them was Wayne Shorter on tenor sax, Bobby Timmons piano, and bassist Jaime Merritt. Staying with Kelby McNair and innovative drummers. Uh, another great drummer who changed things, I think, was Jack DeJohnette. And I'm not sure if Jack would have evolved the same way without the contexts, contexts that he landed in. Some of the greatest Jack DeJohnette recordings for me that I love are his playing with the Keith Jarrett Trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played in Miles' group and also on a really beautiful recording that the whole album is called Forest Flower with Charles Lloyd's quartet. I think it's Charles Lloyd, Keith Jarrett, Jack DeJohnette, and Cecil McBee on bass. And I'm not sure how I would characterize Jack's innovations other than it feels like Jack just brought his creative spirit fully to the music and his knowledge of his his deep understanding of drumming and jazz drumming with his creative spirit created this entirely new sound, new possibilities of where the drummer can play, what the drummer can do, uh, how his sound concept works. Listen for the dynamics and color and energy. Listen to when, listen to when and how and why Dijonette chooses to light it up or create some space or how he chooses to let the pot boil over or he chooses to bring it down a little bit. We as, as drummers, we have, we have learned and figured it out to the point that we forgot that we ever didn't know how to play it and we forgot... We don't, we don't necessarily remember how to play it, but it comes out in a natural way. And to me, Jack just sounds like such a, is such a natural voice on the instrument, but is someone who has uh, got that way by being very passionate about studying his art form. Here's the opening track from that Charles Lloyd album, recorded live at the Monterey Jazz Festival 1966, with Charles Lloyd on tenor sax, Keith Jarrett piano, Cecil McBee on bass, and Jack DeJohnette on drums. I'm going to listen to those things Kel- Kelby told me to listen for in Jack DeJohnette's drumming. Forest Flower Sunrise. <laughs> Thank you. 
whole new world opens up in jazz listening when you pay attention to what the drummer is doing. Thank you, Kelby McNair. Hearing Kelby talking about the music and helping me focus my attention has certainly made jazz and jazz drumming come alive for me. I do play some piano, and here's Kelby talking about the connection between some jazz drummers and jazz pianists, starting with talking about the drummer we just heard, Jack DeGene. Jack's also a, a great piano player. Actually, mm. coincidentally, so is Philly, so is Art Blakey. Really? I don't know about Vernel Fournier, but... Um, well, piano is a percussion instrument. So. It, it totally <laughs> is. And I, I think these drummers who have some kind of an intimate understanding of the piano are players who play so well with piano players and in that context and understand and, and play form as a expressive vehicle because they understand not just what's happening in the energy of the music, not just what's happening in the time or the groove, but they also have a, an intimate understanding of the harmony and are able to use the harmony and melodic structure of a song as an expressive device. For I don't know if this next drummer is also a pianist, but the other night I was listening to this delightful Fred Hirsch trio CD, Fred Hirsch Live in Europe, one of Downbeat Magazine's picks for top jazz albums of 2019, and in this particular selection... I noticed how much I was enjoying the drums, even the drum solo, and that's pretty uncharacteristic of me. He calls this new Calypso for Sonny Rollins, with John Hebert on bass, and the drummer is Eric McPherson. Let's hear it, the Fred Hirsch Trio. Thank you. 
the Fred Hurst Trio with Eric McPherson on drums. Hearing that inspired me to watch a film that was made about Fred Hirsch, available free online. It's called The Ballad of Fred Hirsch. I thought it was great. But we're talking about drummers today, not pianists. My guest is Victoria drummer and composer Kelby McNair. It was a delightful conversation I had with Kelby. That was in early March at James Bay United Church in Victoria, where until the COVID lockdown, Kelby would organize weekly jazz concerts. That was every Tuesday evening. Staying with that connection between drummers and melody, I asked Kelby about his own sense of melody. Those compositions of yours, they are so melodic. How does a drummer gain such a sense of melody? Well, I don't know. Thank you. I'm glad you like them. I compose first and foremost by walking around and singing, or somehow I'm usually moving when I hear something. And then I sing it for long enough that if it's interesting and it captivates me somehow, then I know it's got something to it. And then I try not to compose intellectually. I try to compose um, just openly. So I feel like if I can sing the melody, I can sing. If I, I can sing the harmony part, I can sing the root movement. Then I feel like it's got some authenticity to it, and it's got something that will will be singable and speak to someone else, a listener, uh, uh, an audience. Um, all all of the great drummers that we've spoken of. I think also could sing you any of the songs they play. Uh, drummers like Philly Joe Jones or Max Roach, they all knew the lyrics to all the songs they played. Uh, they all could sing you all the melodies of all the mm. songs they played. Um, they could sing you probably the bass lines and the arrangements, everything. Um, so I think having that melodic sense internally is what allows it to come out externally. Um, the fact that we play drums shouldn't have to be conceived of as a non-melodic instrument. The drums can be just as melodic as, as anything else. We maybe have, you could think, fewer notes to choose from, but not really. We can do so many things with the same drum based on, you know, the way we hear melody, the way we hear storytelling, the way we hear... Um, pitch, all these things are available to us on the drum set uh, if you have the ears, uh, imagination, and desire to do so. Here's what I mean about Kelby's sense of melody. This is from his album, The Measure of Light, from 2012, a gorgeous melody. It's called Ballad Number no. 4. Kelby McNair. <laughs> Thank you. 
recorded live at Herman's in Victoria, B.C. That's Kelby McNair with Daniel Lapp on trumpet, Phil Dwyer on sax, Miles Black piano, and Tom Wakeling playing the bass. Let's hear about the what might or might not be called musical evolution and the role that technology has played. A fun way to look at it is that sounds change before or sounds change after events. So after the event, after the creation of a microphone, uh, singers changed the way they sang. After the creation of a guitar amplifier, guitar players played differently. Also the bands played differently. Um, After Elvin Jones created those recordings with John Coltrane, drummers played differently. After Mm -hmm. Tony Williams um, sounded the way he played, played what he played with Miles Davis's quintet, drummers changed the way they played. And that's the same going all the way back because these these drummers sort of change the conversation. They change the dialogue, the, the discourse, the landscape, the possibilities. Let's hear about how technology produced a whole new style of jazz. Uh, we often think about fusion as being something, you know, relatively modern, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, jazz fusion started to become a thing. And so that was a line you can draw in the sand of like, oh, okay, drumming sounded a certain way before and then after. And when you think about fusion, it's kind of interesting because jazz has always been a fusion. Jazz has always been a, a melting pot or a, a, a combination, a syncretism of all sorts of different influences. But when we got fusion, fusion was the first time maybe we had a real collaboration with technology. So fusion was not so much a musical fusion of ideas as it was uh, an influence of technology changing the way drums were played. Sounds like kind of a funny idea, but when we got amplifiers and electric guitars and bass amplifiers and and we had the ability to create louder and louder sounds, the drums started to change the way they functioned as well. Uh, Companies like Yamaha and Pearl were creating drums that were part of like the stadium rock kind of sound and that idea. And that sort of came back and forth between people who are playing what would you call jazz or fusion music. So you ended up with a drum sound that was totally different and a way of playing that became totally different. So drummers, I think, were responding to the changing musical landscape they were in. So drummers like uh, Tony Williams or Peter Erskine, Alex Acuna, drummers who are playing with bands like Weather Report or Tony Williams' Lifetime or Miles Davis or Jack DeJohnette with Miles Davis's group, they started playing drums in a different way because the drums sounded different, the bands sounded different, and so what they were inspired or called to play musically changed drastically. Here is some of that so-called jazz fusion, the Tony Williams Lifetime, and their version of John Coltrane's Big Nick.
I like it. The Tony Williams Lifetime with Larry Young on keyboards, John McLaughlin guitar, and Jack Bruce on bass from 1970. That was Big Nick. To finish off this week's program, I asked Kelby McNair about his favorite Canadian drummers. He gave great accolades to two of his mentors, Alan Jones and Barry Elms. But I decided to focus on his tribute to the great Canadian jazz legend Claude Ranger, who one day simply disappeared and was never seen again. Kelby, in describing his playing, used one of his wonderful metaphors that makes talking to him such a pleasure. So let me conclude my discussion with him with one of his great ones. I I had the limited opportunity, but I think fairly strong influence of Claude Ranger on my playing. He came out a few times to the West Coast and I got to hear him, meet him and talk to him and just uh, his sense of joy, his sense of artistry, his sense of dynamics, his his mastery. He was someone who set to work. Uh, it's kind of like, I'm not sure, meeting an old winemaker in a basement who understands, you know, they know what they're doing, they're passionate, they have a they have an understanding that is not just in the moment you're talking to them, but they're also they're in the past and present and future all at the same time. Uh, they're aware of, you know, how the grapes were picked, when the grapes were picked, what they're doing, and, and how they'll be in five years because they know that much about the cycle of the music. You can hear his rather unorthodox playing in this next track. It's a recording by an American guitarist and singer named Tesiji Munoz, who lived in Canada for a while and recruited Claude Ranger for this recording, along with uh, Cecil McBee on bass and Canadian pianist Bernie Sinansky. It might fit the category of jazz fusion from 1978. It's called The Word of God. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz. My name is Larry Sademan. Tune in next week. Bye for now. Thank you.